Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody, along with my co-host, Dr. Pettis Perry. Hey, Pettis, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing quite well. How about you, my friend? I'm doing really great. Um, You know, Pettis, we haven't mentioned uh, Be Bold America's mission for a while. Would you like to review it for our listeners? I think we should do that. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, thanks. Well, to start, the two of us uh, want to do whatever we can to foster reuniting this country, and education and fighting disinformation is paramount to achieving that. We have a crisis in politics that can't be ignored, but we have a crisis in accepted character and principle-centered living that can't be ignored either. But thus, um, Be Bold America is a live talk show and then a podcast that imagines an America with ethical principles and functional systems. What a concept. (laughs) (laughs) We keep working at it. (laughs) We do, and and we're trying to do our part. You know, Jill, um, I think that we can be a country with truly engaged citizens whose lives are politically active and personally meaningful. And we talk about that from uh, show to show. But, you know, to have something like that, uh, we have to have a bold, democratic United States of America that first requires informed and principled-centered citizens, as you were talking about. And on Be Bold America, we identify what we believe to be critical topics for discussion. We interview guests who speak truth to power. We discuss principles and tools to enhance our listeners' personal and political lives And we conclude our show with reviewing what listeners might keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to reclaim our democratic republic. Our future depends on it. Jill? You're absolutely right. Our future does depend on it. Our program today is the bizarre, undemocratic, upside-down political news. Yogi Berra once said, you can observe a lot by watching. If you have been observing and taking it all in, then you now realize that our American democracy is on its last breaths. If you've been observing for over four decades, you've seen Republicans have been intentionally drowning government in a bathtub, and that's a quote of Grover Norquist. In the last several years, the Republican Party has been succeeding in destroying governmental institutions, such as shutting down all three federal pandemic offices, just before a worldwide pandemic swept the country and the world. The moment has arrived. Will enough of us fight back in every way we can, or will our democratic republic die kicking and screaming in the tub water? One bizarre, upside-down, undemocratic danger to our democracy is that it's governed by a minority and not by the majority of the people. That governing minority, the morbidly rich and those who are in their pocket— just happen to hate democracy because democracy and government gets in the way of maximizing their power and their profits. We have big things to do. Hey, Pettis, would you be so kind as to introduce today's guest? Certainly, my friend. Our interview guest today is Mark Carley, who is the founder, editor, and publisher of BuzzFlash. More than years ago, Buzz. BuzzFlash was among the first reader-powered progressive sites on the internet. It aggressively exposes an 
undermining of our democracy. And Bernie said best. He reads Buzz Flash all the time. Mark Carlin holds a bachelor's degree in English from Yale University and a master's degree in English from the University of Illinois. He resides in the Midwest, which provides him with a political perspective from outside the Washington, D.C. Beltway bubble. Sign up for BuzzFlash at BuzzFlash.com. You know, Pettis, your uh, clean feed is breaking in and out, and I know that um, you're probably hearing it too, and that's why you might be laughing a little bit. (laughs) I'm getting a huge echo. Oh, is that the problem? Well, that might help our program engineer a bit. Uh, Yeah, she says it does. So, uh, good. Thank you for telling us that. Sure enough. Uh, Welcome back to Be Bold America, Mark. Thank you, Jill and Pettis. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Mark, I'd like to formally introduce you to Dr. Pettis Perry, because Pettis joined co-hosting this show after your last interview on Be Bold America. So please meet Dr. Pettis Perry, and Pettis, meet Mark Carlin. Hi, Mark. How are you, my man? (laughs) Fine. It's It's a pleasure. I'm proud to be on the show with you. Well, it's our our pleasure, too. And you know what, Mark? I think you've got the... um, the award for being on the show for the most uh, of our guests. This is your third time. <laughs> well, it's a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mark, it seems to me we're being inundated with bizarre, undemocratic, upside-down political news on an hourly basis. We are being bullied and governed by the minority who hold contempt for anyone who doesn't act and think as they want, such as governors intentionally killing their state's constituents and seemingly just not caring, a parental ideology that caused them to not protect their own children from a deadly virus, the unvaccinated that don't seem to have any self-preservation instincts and thus threatening the lives of all of us. There's no place in this country that is safe from guns, yet a minority owns more guns than there are people in the U.S. And in California, we have a terrifying man running for governor who is a white supremacist. And that's just a few of the bizarre, undemocratic, and upside-down actions perpetrated by a minority of people. Uh, What are your thoughts? I agree with you wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, we have uh, two groups of people in the United States politically, a fact-based group, and then you have one that's an alternative reality. And their only interest is holding on to power. And they do that through means that even, as you mentioned, could result in the death of their constituents, as we've seen in Texas. Um, In Florida, where 40% of the COVID deaths are now occurring in those two states, and both the governors have an anti-mask policy, uh, I have a lead article today on BuzzFlash in which I guess you could say it's um, an onion-like story but that we should put a bounty out for Governor Greg Abbott of Texas of a million dollars for voluntary manslaughter because he's well aware that his policies will lead to the deaths of his constituents, as is the case of Ron DeSantis in Florida and Christy Mullen in South Dakota. Um, you, You also could say that the 
in anti-abortion bill in Texas will lead to the deaths of women through back alley abortions and so forth. Um, and it, it seems that the Republican Party, uh, as you mentioned, is also pro-gun, very pro-gun. And we have the highest shooting rate of any industrialized country and also by far the highest percentage of ownership of firearms. So in many ways, it's not an exaggeration or hyperbolic to call the Republican Party a death cult. Well, I totally um, agree because I don't understand... You know, the number one purpose of government, there are many, but really the first one is the safety of its citizens. And to have governors that are seem totally uninterested in keeping their citizens safe is an upside-down, <laughs> bizarre um, uh, reality. You know, we also have um, this new strategy, too, that... If the minority doesn't seem to like the result of an election, just ignore it and say it's rigged or, as in California, spend millions of dollars of taxpayer money to force a recall only a year before another election. I just saw in the New York Times today, they had two articles. One was talking about the um, title, The False Election Claims in California Reveal a New Normal for the GOP. You know, claim it's false before you even have the election. And also that in California, there's a recall attempt for just about everything under the sun. So talk more about this uh, side of um, the minority rule. It seems more like the tyranny of the minority. It is the tyranny of the minority. Uh, we have a constitutional system that, unfortunately, if you look at the filibuster, allows um, senators from about 17 small states that only are about 20% of the population to bottle up any meaningful legislation. And that forces the Democrats, while they can, to try to pass bills through budget reconciliation or perhaps maybe to um, carve out a special majority rule vote for voting reform. There's reports of that today. But I think that... um, the Republicans have found, particularly with the echo chamber of the late Rush Limbaugh and with Fox and the other right-wing media outlets, they can create an alternative reality, and that alternative reality simply doesn't acknowledge the facts of what it takes to govern a large country, a large democratic country like the United States. Um, it's uh, an alternative reality that uh, Kelly and Conway infamously called an, an alternative set of facts that um, bolsters their one major concern, which is clinging to power for what is soon to be within probably about 15 years nationally, um, minority power. Already in California, your state, um, the minority is the majority of the state, and that is happening more and more in states around the country. And this has put maximum fear into um, white Republican Christian voters 
who believe that they will no longer control the wheel of government, particularly a patriarchal uh, hierarchy of government. Uh, because if you look in Texas, for instance, which on BuzzFlash we call the Texas Taliban, all the executive branch office holders are right, white Christian males. And they're the ones who pass and Governor Abbott signed this uh, heinous anti-abortion bill. And I don't think you have a full representation of women, of minorities, who are quickly becoming the majority. And so, therefore, they're going to uh, cling to these big lies. Um, and as you pointed out, they're already doing what Trump did before the 2020 election in the California recall. They're saying already that the recall is fixed, that ballots that were sent out are folded in a way that favor uh, Gavin Newsom. And we're seeing throughout the country that uh, the so-called it's audit, which is really a sham audit, in Arizona, uh, which is an, uh, <laughs> allegedly trying to recount the 2020 election for president, no other office is just president, that it may also be done in Wisconsin, Michigan, and some other swing states. So clearly um, what we're seeing is a facade of government, a facade of uh, principles, but there is no principle. The only principle is holding on to power. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. Our topic today is the bizarre, undemocratic, upside-down political news. If you have ideas for the show, you may reach Pettis or me by emailing info at KSQD.org. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. Today, our topic is the bizarre, undemocratic, upside-down political news, and we're speaking with Mark Carlin, founder, editor, and publisher of BuzzFlash.com. Over 20 years ago, BuzzFlash was among the first reader-powered progressive sites on the Internet. It aggressively exposes the undermining of democracy. Now, forgive me, Pettis, I'm going to have you uh, let you have the next question, but I did want to add a couple things uh, because Mark just pushed a button um, for me when he was talking about the senators. And I just wanted to share that each state gets two senators, but the population of several states, for example, Montana, Wyoming, Rhode Island, is less than the city of San Jose <laughs> in California. Um, and, and California is the 10th largest city in the U.S., uh, but the populations of North and South Dakota together is less than the population of many cities. So I just wanted people to know that there's also a baked-in 
uh, minority rule with those two senators. And also with the filibuster, the minority of one can rule right now. You know, somebody, a Republican, call up Mitch McConnell and just say, I want to fil filibuster this law. They don't have to do anything on the floor. They don't have to do a talking filibuster, nothing. And the Republican senators who represent only 21% of the country are blocking critical laws. Um, that's 21% of the country versus 67% uh, who, for example, want the... Um, the um, uh, well, for the People Act. So it's, you know, uh, that's another problem with our our uh, uh, minority rule is it's actually structured in our government as well. But I just wanted to share that. Pettis? Uh, thanks for that, Jill. I think that's a very important uh, thing to discuss. Uh, I've got so many questions because we've already hit on so many different topics. Um, when I was looking at your work uh, in preparation for the show, Mark, you talk a lot about the history of how we got here. And what we're experiencing today did not just start happening with Trump. There's been an underlying uh, wave, if you will, of, of progress that's getting thwarted by the political interests of particular groups. Can you talk a little bit about, I want to take us back a little bit and talk a little bit about the history, uh, but would you go back to uh, to uh, President Andrew Johnson's Southern Strategy Pardons? Because I think that that became the first piece of undermining our democracy after the Civil War. Well, yes. Um, and then... A few years later, in the 1870s, in order to resolve a disputed presidential election, which Ruther B. Hayes was uh, finally in, in kind of the backroom style declared the winner of, the United States government pulled the Union Army out of the South and uh, no longer enforced the voting rights, the uh, 14th and 15th Amendments, in the South, and so that was, began the era in 1776 of, I'm sorry, 1876, that began the era, era of Jim Crow as far back as 1876. It's when the U.S. federal government basically said to the South, we're not going to stand up for the rights of uh, former slaves anymore and the voting rights of blacks and the southern states uh, ferociously clawed back the voting rights of blacks so that you had in states like Louisiana maybe just a few hundred blacks in the states voting um, and this was all a prelude to what became the civil rights era in the early 60s uh, but what you're seeing now and you saw, saw under Trump was a reemergence of the uh, confederacy the, basically a neo-confederacy outlook and that explains a lot of his nods to the white supremacists um, and a lot of his xenophobia and his euphemisms of democratic cities, he would call them blue cities, um, as crime-ridden 
uh, crime infested. He had called Baltimore a city filled with cockroaches, and he was using these as uh, very derogatory metaphors for basically for black and brown people. And all of this began, you're right, with Andrew Johnson, who was felt one vote short of being impeached for going so easy on the uh, defeated Confederate states. Uh, I would add one more thing that what you saw happen after 1876 was the development of the noble lost cause. And this is what created all these statues, like the Robert E. Lee statue that was removed uh, in Charlottesville this week. And that is that somehow there was some nobility to the Southern cause that didn't have anything to do with slavery, but there's there's no evidence that there was anything noble about the Southern cause and that it entirely consisted of um, them breaking away to preserve slavery. And so now we have the backlash. In some ways, this is a backlash to the Obama presidency, a black man actually ruling the country. And the whites said, hell no, this is a white patriarchal country. And in many ways, that's how we ended up with Trump. But I should point out, since we've been discussing, and Jill has brought up the uh, disproportionate power of the minority, that if you look at the elections just in the last 20 years, um, there's only one Republican president who won by popular vote, and that was Bush in 2004. Otherwise, every election, the Democrats, beginning with Al Gore, who won by 500,000, every election in the last 20 years uh, for the president has been won by a Democrat except for 2004. Uh, and the popular vote in what should be a democracy, we, we should have had two more Democratic presidents uh, than we've had because, again, the popular vote favored the Democrats, and if Al Gore had rightfully been declared the winner in 2000, he probably would have won, let's say, possibly would have won in 2004. And Hillary Clinton beat Trump, as we know, by 3 million votes. That's 3 million. And now, in 2020, Biden beat uh, Trump by several million, and Trump still is to this day declaring that uh, he won by a landslide and that um, the election was stolen. And I think, let me just close this passage by saying I think that he, Trump developed a, a, a true cult like Jim Jones um, that believes in alternative reality and that it fits their narrative and his narrative to say the election was stolen, and they actually believe this. I don't think it's something that they're saying just for posturing. I think they believe the election was stolen, and I think that is a fundamental uh, problem that democracy has to face and one that is going to be extremely challenging 
to the survival of the American experience with democracy. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, Joe, did you ask another question? Um, uh, yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, Mark, the Republicans and Democrats approach politics using two very different strategies based on their respective values and beliefs about the use of power and the law. Democrats try to appeal to the intellect and to the heart, while Republicans are unabashedly using brute force. Now, the problem that we have today is that we also have judicial activism by a right-leaning Supreme Court. So there's no neutrality. And what they're doing is using law to uh, come to support their version of what is right in terms or wrong in terms of democracy. And, and this gets tied into what you were speaking about earlier about uh, the far-right uh, Christian movement uh, trying to keep this a, a white Christian or to make this, I should say, because it's never been, but to make this a white Christian society and then use all of the laws uh, at their disposal to make that happen. Uh, so we're moving very quickly, uh, more I think more quickly now than ever before, towards a truly uh, autocratic, uh, demagogic sort of, of uh, way of being in this country. What are your thoughts about those kinds of things? Well, I very much agree. I think the Democrats often make the mistake of trying to tribute um, uh, actual public policy motivation to a lot of what the Republicans do. Uh, I don't think the uh, heads of the Republican Party and the, the office holders, uh, the governors and so forth, and the senators and the Congress people, I don't believe they have any other motivation than holding on to power and that they only take actions that they think will help them hold on to power. And if the Democrats spend too much time trying to analyze those actions, um, they're going to be on the defensive uh, because all the Republicans are interested in is in maintaining power. That's it. Anything they do is an effort to maintain power. And uh, the Democrats, and particularly as we've seen under Biden with the three-point proposed $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill and the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed, actually try to enact public policy that benefits the nation as a whole. Uh, Biden, with Biden particularly, that benefits the working class and the poor. And uh, the Republicans um, are opposed to this. We saw from the time of Reagan, the trickle-down theory, that their sole goal in Congress is to cut taxes. Uh, this is really the basic bedrock of the modern Republican Party. Now, what they do is they toss raw meat, as Trump was brilliant at doing. I mean, he he's a, uh, in my mind, he's an authoritarian uh, fascist, but he tossed raw meat to the constituents in terms of xenophobia, uh, in in terms of uh, belittling um, 
Democrats and making them out as criminal in terms of uh, objectifying people like Hillary Clinton when he said, lock her up, lock her up, and he repeated that. Uh, he encouraged violence. And I think that the sole purpose of that was the maintenance of power by a white male. I, I think this is what motivates the Trump base. And uh, that issue of the Democrats being able to call the Republicans out on their complete cynicism and only operating politically to uh, bolster their power. And they're often successful because the Democrats kind of get lost in the weeds and start arguing over a lot of these issues and avoid nailing the Republicans down for undermining the democracy that was created in 1776. Um, Mark, just before we go to break, I wanted to make a, an observation, and not to disagree, I just kind of was remembering about 2004 when you mentioned that Bush was elected, and I legitimately, and I remember back in 2004 that Kenneth Blackwell, I think he was the Secretary of State for Ohio, he was up to a lot of shenanigans with the voter count in Ohio at that time, and I don't really know that Bush actually legitimately won that election. That's one thought. And the other thought I had when you're talking about the Democrats is they just seem to be on defense and the GOP's on offense and I, all the time and they want power, but it's power to do what? Because they don't write any policies. I can't think of any policy that they've, they've introduced that's been elect, um, you know, voted on and implemented uh, in the country. Uh, they don't govern not interested in governing. It just seems that they're interested in sucking up taxpayer money to the, the morbidly rich and to themselves. Uh, those are just some observations to add to the discussion. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. In addition, if you'd like to be added to our news group, you may text Be Bold America to 22828. Text Be Bold America to 22828. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Those in the know say that we the people should forget any progressive fantasy that, at long last, Washington might finally produce the kind of bold FDR-style agenda that America needs. They smugly lecture us that recalcitrant Republicans in Congress, not to mention a swarm of corporate lobbyists, are opposed to progressive change, so who would get it passed? Here's an idea. Try the people themselves. Those in the know don't seem to know it or don't want us to know it, but big majorities across grassroots America are strongly in favor of the fundamental changes that Washington elites are rejecting. For example, two-thirds of America, including a majority of moderate Republicans, say yes to doubling the minimum wage. 72% of the people, including 46% of professed Republicans, shout their approval for Medicare for all. 8 out of 10 Americans, including strong majorities of Republicans, support a paid family leave program like every other developed nation provides for their people. What about increasing taxes on the rich, expanding Medicaid for poor families, raising teacher pay, spending more for early childhood education? 
Yes, 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 say majorities, not just in blue states, but also in GOP strongholds like Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah. These are not just poll numbers, but solid ideas embraced last year by a broad cross-section of voters in ballot elections across the country. For example, Florida voters enacted a constitutional initiative to up the state's minimum pay to $15, with yeas topping nays by a whopping margin of more than 20 points, making it even more popular than either Trump or Biden. This is Jim Hightower saying, instead of fearing the people, Democratic leaders need to get out of Washington and join the people. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you. There we go. Okay, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mark Carlin, founder, editor, and publisher of BuzzSlash.com. Sign up for BuzzSlash.com. And also, Rachel Maddow said, I read for hours, my producers and I divvy it up newspapers website and buzzflash our topic is the bizarre undemocratic upside down political news and mark before um moving on to another question i have did you have any comment about kenneth blackwell in ohio in 2004 or why republicans mark yes okay yes you're on Okay. Yes, in regards to Kenneth Blackwell, he engaged in what Republicans are very skilled at, which is purging voters who actually can vote, but they're generally black or brown. And he did that in Ohio. Um, Bush still ended up with the majority of votes because Blackwell did that, and uh, there was no recourse in the courts, or mm. the courts ruled with him. I see. Now, they purged the votes in Florida. They purged 100,000 votes in 2000. So Al Gore probably would have won that. Uh, Greg Pallas, my colleague and good friend, has exposed this, um, that the then Secretary of State of Florida's Catherine Harris's office had purged 100,000 voters, most of them who were still registered and were minority. And Al Gore would have won Florida by a, uh, perhaps not landslide, but by tens of thousands of votes if they had not purged. Stacey Abrams lost in the 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election to Brian Kemp, who was Secretary of State when he was running, and purged hundreds of thousands of votes. So it's a bit ironic that Trump is constantly uh, boasting that he won and was cheated out of the election because it's actually the Republicans who are extremely skilled at legally, quote, unquote, uh, stealing elections. Well, and what? why do Republicans want this power? So is it just the money? Because I don't see them doing any... Uh, designing policy or governing? Um, It's the patriarchal perspective. There's a a professor emeritus at the University of California at Berkeley, George Lakoff, and he's actually um, a neurolinguist, which may seem odd, but he basically, and this, I I don't want to minimize the complexity of his theories, 
But he basically says the Republicans have a authoritarian patriarchal system, and the Democrats have what is called a maternal nurturing system and perspective. And so the Republicans believe that you have a white male, and this also fits in with the evangelicals who make up an important part of the Republican base and the, the Southern white Baptists, that you have a white Christian male who heads the government. And um, even though Trump was such a flawed individual, personally such a sinner, uh, to say the least, a, a lecherous man, um, they, he was forgiven because there are biblical passages that the evangelicals and the uh, Southern Christian Baptists refer to, which who say that um, the man who will ultimately turn America into a Christian nation um, will will probably be a sinner because it requires the strength of the sinner to achieve that goal. And so that, in some way, explains the um, unusual following that Trump has in Christian religious circles. Um, but to get back to your question, Jill, about what they want, power, it's hard for Democrats to conceive this, but power in, its, in and of itself is an objective. Um, I would say what they want to achieve with that power is uh, increase corporate earnings and lower taxes for the wealthy. I think that's their primary goal, is of Mitch McConnell. And it has been the goal of the Republican Party. We, we saw that uh, begin in a very big way with Reagan and his tax cuts. But that's what their goal is. If you want, if it seems like to many people and to many Democrats that uh, this simply can't be understood, how could they just want power? Well, that's that's the case. They they revel in asserting power. That's what authoritarians do. Uh, that's what fascist leaders do. Um, and that is that's the core base of the Republican Party. So we have a two-party system in America. Uh, I guess there's a party of democracy and a party of authoritarianism. I, I also see these people that want the power, but they're paid by public tax dollars. They're given pensions by public tax dollars. They're, you know, they're wined and dined, and so it's a it's a pretty lucrative uh, position for them as well. Pettis, do you have a question? I'm sure you do. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you know, part of the uh, this clawing for power, I think, also has to do with subjugation of the masses of people. Uh, that there, if you look at the history and evolution of the country, it's always been about subjugating a particular group of people. Um, so historically, this trend, uh, I think, is just now really becoming, uh, getting into the open. It's always been there. Uh, we're just closer now than I, I think we've ever been, in, other than uh, during the slave days, of actually having an entire system that supports that sort of behavior. The idea of trickle-down economics has always been a flawed economic theory. 
Uh, and But it took us more than 40 years to get to the point, or about 40 years, to get to the point to identify it as a flawed economic theory. So, you know, we have these, and I'm not sure how much of that is based on ignorance or how much of it was, uh, was part of the design, uh, but it seems to me that, as, you've point, as you both have pointed out, the Republicans really don't have uh, any policies. Uh, all they care about, as, as Mark has so eloquently described, is the, the capture and control of power for power's sake. Uh, and I think that that's what the Republicans uh, are doing, at least in my own mind, as, as I look at, at what's going on. Now, the only way to really break that up, uh, one, is we need to get some different uh, Supreme Court justices uh, or expand the, the uh, judicial bench uh, to give uh, Democrats an opportunity to, uh, to bring on more justices. Uh, but the whole idea of the filibuster and the control by one or two people uh, in a Senate uh, to keep the filibuster alive uh, also speaks to this this same sort of grab for power. If you look at what Manchin is doing, it's quite obvious that he's exercising his power with the filibuster. And if you look at his donors, many of them are large corporate donors. So what Mark has been talking about is really that that full circle, right? You get elected, and then you get. You, you keep your power uh, by corporate funding and, and uh, what we do with the laws. So, Mark, how do we get out of this? What, what do we need to do to break this sort of system up so we can get back to uh, some, some grand experiment that's not going to harm three-quarters of the population? I think that you had a commentary by Jim Hightower, and Jim Hightower is a big advocate of um, populism, liberal populism, and I think that's very important. I think the Democrats have not done a good job over the past few decades of reaching, reaching out to the working person, man or woman, and I think that's extremely important. Because when the working class becomes disgruntled because their jobs, the well-paying jobs are exported overseas, as we've seen over the last many years, they become easy pickings for someone who isn't authoritarian like Trump, or it could be Josh Hawley, or it could be Ted Cruz, or it could be Ron DeSantis. And so it's very important uh, that... The Democrats realign themselves with the working class. That's my feeling. Uh, I just want to add one thing, and I don't want to get too obscure about this in terms of history, but the South was basically an oligarchy. Only 13% of people in the South owned slaves. Whites generally were poor. White working men were poor. And they were just above slaves. They did receive, they were free, and they received money for their work. But they were called uh, mudsills. Mudsills were what held up houses in the South in the uh, very wet, uh, loamy uh, soil. And what you're seeing today with the rise of the so-called neo-Confederacy, which, which is the Trumpian Republican Party, is 
white working class people support the so-called noble cause, uh, even though they're not benefiting from it. Only the oligarchy is. And what you've seen now is that there is a new oligarchy, and they're at the top of the Republican Party. And as I say, I think Mitch McConnell, even more than Donald Trump, uh, represents them because he's really a tool of the lobbyists for corporations and the wealthy. And that's, that's, that's the basic operational goal of the Republican Party. Um, and you can trace that again back to Reagan. And I think that um, the Democrats have to had us call out the Republicans about this. I think Biden has done a decent job of pointing out how the wealthy and corporations benefit from tax cuts, and he's going to try to reverse that a bit in the infrastructure reconciliation bill. Um, but it's not enough to just do it. You've got to get that message down to the base, to the working class base. So I think that Democratic field work and the working class base is very, very important. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Want a friend to hear this program? Ask them to subscribe for free to their favorite podcast platform, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., to hear any of our Be Bold America's programs. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Want to tell everyone about someone special? You can honor a loved one by sponsoring a day of KSQD programming. We'll play your announcement six times during the day of your choice. Here's an example. Today's programs on KSQD are sponsored by Terry Clark, honoring her beloved dog Sparky and rescue animals everywhere. Thanks to the volunteers who love the animals and the pets who love their humans. To set up your day sponsorship, visit ksqd.org. I love that idea of sponsoring in the name of your pet because we have a, um, a rescue dog, too. <laughs> Today, our topic is the bizarre, undemocratic, upside-down political news, and we're speaking with Mark Carlin. Mark is the founder, editor, and publisher of BuzzFlash.com. Over 20 years ago, BuzzFlash was among the first reader-powered progressive sites on the Internet. It aggressively exposes the undermining of democracy. Sign up for their newsletter at BuzzFlash.com. And I wanted to make um, an observation that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and uh, Biden, President Biden, went to all three events at all three sites. And uh, past former President Obama was in New York. And former President uh, Bush was at the uh, Flight 93 location. And, you know, Trump was at a Florida casino doing a live commentary for <laughs> pay-per-view boxing match. And when we were talking about the purpose of this program, we were talking about the crisis in acceptable character and principle-centered living. And that right there, you can see the principles um, uh, lived by our past four presidents. And as Maya Angelou said, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. So, Mark, <laughs> so Mark what principles do you live by yourself? I try to be compassionate. I think that's very important. I think that's 
the opposite of what Trump is. Trump basically um, encouraged his followers to be selfish. I mean, this is what we're seeing uh, most notably play out most destructively in the anti-Trump anti-vaxxers, um, that they have no concern for the American community as a whole, that they're selfish, that they claim it's a question of their freedom whether they wear a mask or not. Now, these are the same people who have to have a driver's license to drive and don't complain about it. They're the same people who, when they enroll their children in every state, uh, there are requirements for vaccines to have your children enrolled in a public school. And if they're a lawyer or a doctor or even a plumber, they need state registration or state licensing. And they don't complain about that. So this is a political posturing which is harming the uh, public health of the United States, including infection and death. So I try to be compassionate. I try to, in my own life, think, what can I do for another person? How is my behavior going to affect other people? That we are a national community. I also live in a local community, and that that's extremely important to me. The other thing is I think it's important to say there is a basis upon which we can agree that certain information and certain actions, historical events, are facts, and that this is a fact-based society. And I think that's another factor that plays into BuzzFlash. And finally, I would say I am science-based. I believe that uh, in our post-enlightenment world, uh, science plays a very important role in our progress. And what we saw under Trump was science was disregarded for quack cures and quack advice on public health. So I try to uh, foster a science-based approach to information and the news. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, you mentioned about the um, anti-vaxxers and, you know, they're really ruining our ability to crush the COVID virus. And now, you know, it's leading to unnecessary illness and death. And now children are dying. That's another thing. Uh, and I in this uh, thinking that wearing a mask is tyranny, I mean, we we live in a civil society. I At least we're trying to live in a civil society. And, you know, if they want to know what tyranny really is, just recently in Cuba, they just turned off the entire Internet in the whole country so people could not communicate. That's tyranny, not wearing a mask to save people from getting sick. And as one lawyer that I heard recently say, the government's kind of required to keep you healthy, but they're not required to make you sick. <laughs> and so this is a choice of Abbott and uh, DeSantos. And so, Pettis, do you have a quick question before we go to Keep, Stop, Start? Uh, I, I do, or you know, at least a, a comment or two. I, I think, uh, Mark, you just hit on something in terms of fact-based uh, culture. Uh, I think that that's gotten out of hand. Uh, since we have so many uh, loosely called news outlets or information outlets. Um, do you see anything that we can do being in the business 
that can help to moderate some of that or to to address some of that uh, that power that that so many uh, people have with their various outlets? I think that the Democrats have to call the Republicans on their disinformation. Uh, what you might get off of Newsmax or Fox or the OAN network um, all the time. I think someone like uh, Jen Psaki, the uh, press secretary, does an excellent job of turning questions around from reporters like the ones from Fox and Newsmax. And I think politicians need to do that all the time. I think the media gets too comfortable in trying to, uh, the, com- the commercial media, in trying to present ideas as having two sides uh, and facts as having two sides. Whereas with facts, there aren't two sides to fact. There's fact and, and then there's fiction. And the media kind of presents facts and fiction is kind of a, uh, a balanced way of looking at the news, but it's really a very, very misleading way to report the news because uh, the media is supposed to be in the business of determining fact and not in offering fact and fiction as a counterbalance to them, each other. That's called uh, journalistic false equivalency. Well, it's a great term. Isn't it? Well, false equivalency, that's been seen for years in the climate crisis where 97 uh, scientists would say, you know, talk about the facts of the climate crisis, and then there'd be three people that was fighting it and they're deniers, and the media would cover both sides, and there weren't both sides. You know, it was that false equivalency. Uh, Mark, in the last couple of minutes here, uh, in these last few minutes, what could listeners keep doing, stop doing, and start doing, and maybe take them separately? What can listeners, based on what we talked about today, what should they keep doing? I think they should keep calling out the Republicans on misinformation and disinformation. Um, although newspapers, uh, at least printed newspapers, are um, falling by the wayside, I think letters to the editors are still important. Um, and they also show up in the digital versions of newspapers, which many people are turning to. And I think it's very important that people do speak out. I think people should join causes and uh, become very active. I think Bernie Sanders said well when he said despair is not an option, and I don't think it should be an option for any of us that we need to stay involved and we need to remember that we can make a difference as individuals when we gather together in uh, groups, and I, I think that's extremely important. And, of course, there's always the old-style method, which is often forgotten, of, of contacting your elected officials, and I don't think that should be taken for granted. E- email, they get a ton of it, so it's not as effective, but actually calling congressional offices, the offices keep a tally of people's position on important issues, or, or writing a letter. Letters are actually read, maybe by staff, but they're read, and they're tallied, too. 
Um, so I think there are a lot of ways to be involved in democracy, and one of the things Republicans want is for uh, progressives to give up and to to fall into a state of despair and not to act, and I think we have to keep acting. I wish we had more time, Mark. <laughs> we've got so many more questions, and we've run out of time. So um, I know I enjoyed the conversation an awful lot. Pettis? Very much so, Mark. Uh, you're a wealth of information. Thank you. I just wish we had more time. I want to give a special thank you to Be Bold America's program engineer. I know she's been struggling with, <laughs> she's laughing, she's been struggling with some um, technical issues here, Emily Donham and our program director, Howard Feldstein. And once again, give a huge thank you to our bold and impressive guest, Mark Carlin. Thank you for having me, Jill and Pettis. Thank you. It's just been an honor to have you, have you uh, to talk with Mark. We're so glad you had some time for us tonight. Up next on Be Bold America will be the great progressive talk show host, Tom Hartman. Join us on Sunday, September 29th at 5 p.m. to hear Tom Hartman discuss his new book, The Hidden History of American Healthcare, Why Sickness Bankrupts You and Makes Others Insanely Rich. For-profit health insurance is the largest con job ever portrayed on the American people, one that cost trillions of dollars and millions of lives since the 1940s. There is a simple solution, Medicare for all. So join us on September 29th at 5 p.m. to hear Tom explain the con and the extraordinary benefits to us and our economy when he discusses his most recent book, The Hidden History of American Healthcare. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Faith Matters with Seth Shapiro. My name is Jill Cody. And I'm Dr. Pettis Perry. And thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep stop start. <laughs> <laughs>